I want to talk to you this morning about biblical manliness. And I, I want to just hopefully challenge you in, in a little, just the way that you're thinking about it with two questions. One, and this is kind of a mind blower, what is biblical manliness? That's the first question we're going to ask. Uh, and then the second is, what is keeping me from growing in manliness? What's keeping me from it? Okay. So first, what, what makes a man? And I just want to hear from you. I know you're tired or you're getting tired. Did anybody like not sleep last night? Anybody just stay up all night? Donovan snores. You know what I asked him that last session? You know what he said? No, he didn't snore at all. I knew it was a lie. Uh, anybody stay up all night? Anybody just go for it? Go for broke? Anybody less than like two hours of sleep? I just want to know where you're at. I want to identify you. Good job. All right. Anything more than two is sufficient. So <laughs> you're fine. But talk to me. So manliness. I say, what, what is a man? First thing that pops into your head. Talk to me. What, what is it? L- louder, please. I got this. <laughs> Jewelry? I thought you said jewelry. And I was like, what? What's happening? I got to write that down. Jewelry. Chivalry. All right, I like that. I saw somebody else. You don't have to raise your hand. This isn't school. Just responsibility. Gentlemen. I think that goes with jewelry. Yeah. Leadership. Hard work. Proactive. Leadership. Leadership. Service. Take initiative. Take initiative. Providing. Head of household. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. None of you have said male. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on? Oh, that's good that we don't have to talk about that. I'm I'm thankful that we're we're there. I mean, being a male, that that helps with manliness. Um, Masculinity is the opposite of femininity. Okay, what makes a man? Is it the ability to grow a sweet mustache? I have head nodding. I have confirmation from the back, a sweet beard. I haven't had to shave. Uh, I mean, I, I get to shave more than once a month. I feel like I'm becoming a man. Some of you feel that way. Finally shaving. Is that what makes a man? Is it uh, horseshoe triceps? Some of you have them. Good work. Uh, is being a man never skipping leg day? Some of you were also doing that, I noticed. Stop. Do leg day. Uh, is being a man having a driver's license? Is being a man having a job? What is, what is a man? What defines being a man? Is it having been in a fight? Is it knowing confidently that you've never shed a tear? Even when you were a baby. Never <laughs> cried. <laughs> Ever. Is that manliness? Is it what you wear? Is it refusing to wear anything other than t-shirts designed by The Rock? Uh, I had a guy last session say manliness is is checking in with the Art of Manliness website on the daily. We talked afterwards. It's fine. Uh, What makes a man? Seems to be a lot of confusion about this very topic. A lot of confusion about manliness. I Googled it for about five minutes, and it yields all sorts of answers to that question, what is a man? 
Some people think that being a man is the very stuff I was just joking about. That being a man is, is being big and strong and the ability to grow a mustache. That being a man is about confidence and boldness. It's about never, ever letting your emotions show. That being a man is being confident to look people in the eye when you talk to them. And then on the opposite side of that coin, there are people who think that being a man has nothing to do with that stuff. That being a man is about being secure in who you are and loving to show your emotion, crying several times a day. I embellished that part. It was a week, but a day sounded better. That being a man is not being afraid to follow a strong woman. What makes a man? Okay? There seems to be a lot of confusion about this issue. And this isn't a new problem. This has been on a steadily confusing downward spiral on a decline. Blurred role of men, the confusion of the goal of manhood. I'd suggest to you that we are living in a time, absolutely, when we don't know what or who men are supposed to be anymore. And that's growing. So what happened? What happened? I know that some of you have heard this before, but I want to talk about it just for a few minutes. You're, you're familiar with the sort of the invention or the introduction of this term adolescence. Um, and, and I want to stress invention. Problem is with adolescence, our culture is allowing and even encouraging boys to stay boys. Adolescence, and here's why I say that 150 years ago, the average age for a freshman starting college, okay, 1850s. What do you think? A guess. Average age for a freshman starting college. 18, 16, 12, it is 14. Who said 14? Good work. 14. In 1850, some guys went as, as early as 12, headed off to college, which means by 16, 17, 18, these guys have careers, full-time jobs. Where's my 18-year-olds at? It means you guys would have a full-time job. Some of you would be a year or two away from, from marriage or maybe already thinking about marriage. You'd have a full plate of responsibility. The 1900s, which sounds like a long time ago, but really isn't that long ago, thousands of 18-year-olds fought for our country. They were heroic and brave. They were leaders. They were clearly men at, at the age of 18. What happened? Well, I just would chase this for a minute. 1904, the, the first president of the American Psychological Association, he's credited with sort of discovering adolescence. Okay. He describes this new developmental phase that came about due to social change at the turn of the 20th century. Credits it with a couple things. Influence of child labor laws and also universal education. The youth, which we're talking about you, have this newfound time in their teenage years when the responsibilities of adulthood were not forced upon them as quickly as in the past. And the culture just began to buy into this idea of adolescence. 
1962, so fast forward a little bit, this guy named Peter Bloss published a book titled On Adolescence. It's a result of his research into the problems of teens. And his theories described conflict, conflicts that teens have between wanting to break free of their parents and desiring to remain dependent. So this great paradox of when we should leave the nest, should we stay, should we go? The concept of adolescence just continued to grow. Responsibilities for teens, for guys your age, continued to decrease along with expectations. It's important to note that in a lot of other societies, there's no such thing as adolescence. It's just two time periods for life. There's childhood and adulthood. There's boyhood and there's manhood. That's it. There is no in-between stage. Western society, which is us through the 1970s, embraced the concept that teens were broken with major problems and they needed to be fixed before they could become independent and before they could become self-sufficient. 10 years ago, the, the, the age bracket for adolescence was 13 to 19. Okay, so six-year period where the culture says, ah, just let them be boys. Don't put any responsibility on them. Don't expect anything of these guys. They got a lot of problems, which is still slightly true. Now, this, this bracket of time is starting earlier. They've bumped it from 13 to 10, and they're extending it later. Now it's 24, and some people are arguing for 26. So 14, 16 years where the culture says, no expectation for these guys, no responsibility for these guys. So what am I saying? 150 years ago, guys, there was no such thing as adolescence. You went from childhood to manhood. And honestly, every one of you here would be in college or almost done with college. 13 or 14, you were ready to take on the requirements of not only becoming, but also being a man. But the culture decided that the struggles that teenagers experience are just too much. Someone decided to lower the expectation for boys your age. Let's let them stay boys for longer. Let's slow down their education, allow them to stay in childhood mode just for a little while longer. And the result is guys going to school and college later and later and later. Uh, another result is you living at home longer and longer and longer, just putting off and delaying the responsibilities of being a man. The standard has continued to plummet. The toleration of you staying a boy, just it's continuing to grow. Ten years ago, the expectation for guys your age was almost nothing, and now it's worse. Do whatever. Be a boy. Don't, don't worry about being a man. Okay, so it, it can wait. Yikes, this, this is a huge problem. And I, I think even our culture is really confused. 
uh, just turn the radio on for a few minutes. There's like 50 or, I don't know, 100 songs about manhood. What's, what's a man being a man? And they all have a different message, right? They all have something different that they're driving at or, or pointing to. Nobody knows. Except for one song that I like, the Man Up Anthem by Triple E and Lecrae. They contribute a little bit to the song. Just some lyrics. Without Christ, you won't know what a man is. You a boy in a man's body like Tom Hanks in Big, which I love but also dates me. Anybody even seen Big? A few of the old dudes. Yes, yes, a couple. Good work. It's a good movie, right? Yeah, yeah it's strong. It's good. Being a man got nothing to do with age. You can be a boy till the day you lay in your grave. None of us behave like the image of who we're made. And sorry for not rapping that, but I can't. I've tried. I tried it in the first session. It went horribly. Um, we don't need a song like this to, to help us understand what the source of correction is. But these guys do have it right. There's one place to help us understand manliness, one starting point to really just bring clarity to the issue of what is a man? What is a man? We don't need the world's standards. We need to understand biblical manliness. What does the Bible say is a man? What makes a man? How do we get out of this boy stage? How do, how do you step from, from childhood or boyhood into manhood? That's the question I want to talk about this morning. So again, we're going to think about it in two questions. First, what is it? And second, what's keeping me from it? So first, what is biblical manliness? And I want to encourage you to open to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And my job was made easy because Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 is the only verse in the New Testament that uses the word manhood. And it's easy for me to focus in on one spot, one place here that speaks of mature manhood. And you probably are familiar with this passage already, but chapter 4 gives us great insight into the way that, that Christ purposefully builds up his church. It's on purpose that the Lord is gifting to the church certain types of people. And it's here in this chapter, we see apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. And what's the reason? Why does the Lord give the church these specific spiritually gifted people? What is he doing? Well, the answer is in verse 12. It says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The Lord Jesus desires all the saints in the church. And let's talk about you. If you, you fit into this, if you've given your life to Christ, if, you, if you're a Christian, this is you. Guys, God has expectations for you. Despite what the world may think about you or what sort of view they have of you, God has a specific and big purpose in mind for you. And it's that you be equipped, equipped and built up. That's what God wants for guys like you. And, and what for? Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God. What does God want you equipped in? It's two things, unity in your faith, and he wants you equipped in knowledge of the Son of God. We're talking about you. We're talking about men right now. God wants you as a man unified with other men in your faith. He wants you growing in your knowledge of his son, growing in your knowledge of who Christ is. Two very specific things that God purposefully wants you growing in, being equipped in, being built up in. Unity and knowledge to produce what? Look at verse 13, second half. To produce this, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why this equipping for unity and this being built up in knowledge? It's for mature manhood. It's for biblical manliness. God wants you to be a man. And that word, Manhood, it stands in direct contrast to boyhood, to being a little boy. It's, it couldn't be any more opposite. It gives a sense of maturity, a, a grown man, a complete man, full manness. And notice the end of verse 13. Manliness is to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You guys, it's manliness to the full and complete standard of Jesus. And let me make this as simple as possible. Three words, manliness is Christ-likeness. Manliness is being as much like Jesus as possible. That's what makes a man. Biblical manliness has everything to do with growing and maturing in your Christ-likeness. And I know that that feels like a Sunday school answer. God, Jesus, Bible. And in junior high, try to just beat that out of your vocabulary. Have a better answer. But that's exactly what you guys are learning here this week, right? Christ is Lord. Live To live is Christ. It's on a poster. I, I saw that, right? I think so. Is it? Yeah, good. Whew. To live is Christ. Okay? So, of course, manliness finds its true definition in Christ's likeness. Of course it does. And I love what Paul says next. He doesn't leave us hanging. He doesn't leave us in the dark what is the characteristic of Christian manhood that, that we should be chasing, that you should be just desperately trying to, to go after and achieve? Or maybe think about it this way. How can I identify this characteristic of, of manliness or Christ-likeness in my life? Look at verse 14. That we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, a craftiness and deceitful schemes. Guys like Christ, our, our manliness, it, it's, it's grounded in our grasp of the truth of God's word. How well we understand it. Being a real man. 
There's so much out there that you can read and, and books that pretend to talk about manliness. And, and I'm not trying to make fun of you because I've read it, but, but being a real man, it isn't about living a life of fantasy. It isn't about living a life like the Legend of Zelda. And hold on, because I know you're going to be mad at me, but I, I loved it. I played it. It's an awesome game. Hear me out. There's so much out there, and I've heard this and I've read this. Quote, deep in his heart, every man longs for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. That sounds like an, like an advertisement for Zelda. And you're nodding because you know it's true. And guys your age are buying up books like that left and right, but that has nothing to do with what Scripture says is a real man. You're not going to find that in the Bible. Instead, we find this. Write this down. Real men love truth. Real men are hungry for the truth of God's word. That's what makes a real man. That's a, a real man. He, he knows the truth. And when something comes along that's potentially dangerous or spiritually misleading, he sees it coming a mile away. And he says, no way. That is not the truth. I know enough about God's word to know that that is not true. And I'm going to warn my friends about it because it's potentially dangerous. Real men want truth. They know truth. They are not confused by new views on theology. They're not misled by false teaching. God tells us that a man is going to be firm and fixed in his knowledge of the truth, in his knowledge of Scripture. What does that mean? That means you and I need to be, we need to just be tethered to this book. You and I need to just be so attached to it that, that I can hardly do anything, make any decision with, without sort of letting it filter through what God's word says first. How am I living my life? Things that I'm doing. What does God's word say about that particular situation for me? I want to know the truth. I want to know what it says. Not only be anchored to the word, but men need to be knowledgeable of it. Guys, we need to be disciplined to continue to seek after God's word, to, to be in it on the daily, to be, to be reading it and growing in our understanding of it, wanting it, disciplined to, to make time and find time each day to be growing in my knowledge of the son and of his word. That's what a real man does. A man understands truth well and he's devoted to it. He has his senses trained for discernment. So that's the big principle that I, I want just you to leave here with. That's the big idea that I want you to walk out of this session with. If, if that's all you heard, I would be so happy that you would leave saying, my manliness is directly connected to me being like Jesus. That's a win. I'll take it. And I hope that you see that first and foremost, that's reflected in your understanding of the word, your knowledge of scripture. 
And God's definition of manliness, being a man, is 100% connected to my knowledge of his son and of his word. Period. And honestly, I could pray and we could just stop and you could go. I'm going to do that, actually. Some of you are like, yes, I knew I'd choose the right session. Boom, out early. Kidding. I'm going to keep you all the way till noon. Uh, now, but I do want to do something a little different. Okay, I've been thinking about this all week. Oh, how could I help you think about manliness? What are some things that, that we could talk about? And I, I want to do something a little different. I just I want to come at it from the negative. And I want to answer that second question. What are some things that I'm doing that are potentially keeping me from becoming a biblical man? And there's, there's so many things we could talk about. And you guys know this stuff. You've, you've read articles on it and books on, on biblical manhood. And you can read it. And they're out there. And they're really good. You've already identified a lot of them. Being a, a man, certainly from Genesis 2, we, we know and we've said it. It means that you're going to lead, that you're going to protect, that you're going to provide. That's right out of Scripture. That's right out of Genesis 2. And, and we could talk about it for 15 or 20 minutes, and you could write those down and leave going, yeah, lead, provide, protect. And I want you to. That's something that you need to be growing in and, and, and understanding that's where you're headed. That'll directly impact your work ethic. One day you have to provide for a wife and children, which means you have to get out of bed and go to work. Which means if you can't do that to go to school, maybe you should start thinking about that now. And then there's some other principles. Right at the end of Deuteronomy 31 and Joshua 1, God's giving some great instruction to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. And you guys know that. And we could talk about that for 15 or 20 minutes too. And in that, God's giving Joshua some very specific instruction. Don't be strong and courageous because of who you are and your ability and because you're ripped or whatever. He's telling Joshua to be strong and courageous because of who his God is, right? You be strong and you be courageous about what I'm asking you to do because of who I am and I'm going to be with you. And we could talk about that for a while too. And you could leave chanting, strong and courageous, all through lunch, and the girls will be super freaked out. <laughs> and I hope, that you, I hope that you know that's important. I don't want you guys leaving thinking, you know, that you should be strong and, and courageous because of your athletic ability, because you can bench 315. Anybody? Some of you? We had some dudes last, last session. I, I didn't believe it, though plus or minus a couple hundred, a couple hundred pounds, maybe. You're not supposed to be strong and courageous in your athletic ability, how far you can hit a baseball or a golf ball or even your, your awe-inspiring brain power. That's not it either, right? Be strong and courageous in who God is. I hope that you know that. I hope that you have those. But again, I just, just really fast, and I want to let you out early. That's going to be my gift to you, just one thing, one, one man to another. I, I want to get you out of here early, but what are some things that you're doing that are potentially prohibiting your growth as a biblical man? And I have eight, but I'm going to shorten it to five. Uh, what's keeping you from growing in your love for Christ and for the word? 
Let's do five reasons. Man to man, number one, you're lazy. You're lazy. Second Timothy chapter one, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. What does it take to grow in your knowledge? What does it take to grow in your understanding of the word? It calls for sacrifice. You guys, it takes work. It requires time. It demands effort. In other words, this does not come easy. You are not going to grow in your knowledge of the son and of his word by osmosis. You don't just sit on the couch and gain insight. And dudes, I just went through seminary. If the matrix were true, I would do it. I would have sat in that chair and let the needle go into my brain to download this in like five minutes. I would have done it. But that's not the way God wants us to do it. That's not the way he has intended for us to learn. We're supposed to read it. And we're supposed to read it again. And again, and we're supposed to study it and we're supposed to meditate on it and we're supposed to memorize it. And we're supposed to let it have its full effect on our lives. Let its application actually move into our heart. Listen to it, obey it. We love the easy. We want the easy and I'm with you. These were hard for me to write, but it's, I'm worried because it's only getting worse. How fast can I do this? How quickly can I get this project done? And this one hurts me too. What's the bare minimum that I have to do to get by? If you're asking yourself, Man, what's the minimum amount of work that I would have to do to be a workman that God is approved of? That's the wrong question. And it just reveals that, that you have a lazy heart. Dude's laziness will keep you from biblical manhood. Every time. Proverbs 13 verse 4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets Nothing, but the soul of the diligent or the worker, the soul of the diligent is made fat. Being a man requires a solid work ethic. Practically speaking, if you're going to be a man, you'll, as we said, you're going to have to provide. You're going to have to go to work. Start putting these into practice now. Develop a work ethic now. Let's move. What else is hindering biblical manhood? Number two, man to man, you have a faulty value system, a faulty value system. Psalm 19, the psalmist speaking of of scriptures, he says this, this book, these are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. To the psalmist, the word of God is the greatest treasure ever. To the psalmist, it's the sweetest reward. There is absolutely nothing that can satisfy like the word of God. Nothing that can fill you fuller or give you more benefit or or, or reward. Nothing worth pursuing more than this. And 
That's the opposite of the way little boys think. Boys don't think that this book has any value at all. Little boys don't look at the Bible as a treasure. They look at it as a chore. They don't look at it as a blessing, but a burden to have to read and sort of satisfy mom and dad. It's not a delight, it's a drudge. A real man should echo the words of Psalm 119. And I want to read all 176 verses for you quickly. Sweet. Some of you know your Bible. The word I've treasured in my heart, verse 11. I've treasured it in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me your statutes. I've rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I'm going to meditate on your precepts, regard your ways. I want to delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Guys, those are the words of a real man. What else is delaying biblical manhood? Number three, man to man. You reject anything that isn't new. You reject anything that isn't new. We live in a time when something unusual, I believe, is happening. A time when the young are no longer giving effort to understanding the older generation. A time when, when, when the young are finding the old to be insignificant. Paul gives us some great instruction in Titus 2, helpful insight into how guys were supposed to learn. Supposed to learn about life and character. Supposed to learn about how they were supposed to live supposed to learn from the older guys the experience and the wisdom of the men that have gone before us. They have a lot to say. And yet we look at them and we think, that guy doesn't even have an iPhone. What in the world does he possibly have to say that's relevant to me, to my world? I have to show him how to turn on his TV. Those men have so much to say, so much input to add into our life. Titus 2 says, older men are temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love and perseverance. Merge some verses together. Likewise, talking to the older men, urge the young men to be sensible. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Young men were supposed to learn that stuff from the older men. That's the way it's always happened, always been done. And all of a sudden we now have a new generation sort of creeping up who's not really interested in what the older men have to say anymore. Young men have stopped seeking out the wisdom from the generations above them. We think we have it figured out. We think that it's, our worlds couldn't be any different. That old guy can't speak to me. But yet, sin is the same. Temptation is the same. Life is the same. God's word is the same. And dudes, those old guys so much to teach you. 
show so very much to show you, to help you understand. Your church has been gifted with staff and pastors and older guys in the church that you could learn volumes from. I encourage you to not follow the trend. It's incumbent on the young to understand the old. Don't think you're above learning from men who have gone before you. Be a man, take advantage, learn from an older man. Okay, what else is postponing biblical manhood? Number four, man to man, you've established all the wrong habits. We are creatures of habit. We do the things we want to do. We make time for the things we want to make time for. And we do it day after day after day after day. And those habits just become a part of who we are as men. If you train yourself now to be a man who insists that scripture will be a part of his day, you will be a man who practices the same thing. I promise. Ephesians 5, 15. Be careful how you walk, not as an unwise man, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We need the right habits. We need to put into practice now the very things we want to do as a man, as an adult, as a man with a wife and children. Put those things into practice now. Have a purpose. Have discipline. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Read that later. Have purpose. Have discipline. Walk with wisdom. Make the best use of the days you have. What else puts biblical manhood on the shelf? Let's do one more, then I'm going to let you go. Man to man, you're not saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It's the most important one. Without Christ, you guys, you will never know what a real man is. I don't need Lecrae to tell me that, although he got it right. Without Christ, you will never know what a real man is. You won't have his example. You'll never look at his word as anything more than foolishness. As Christians, we're given this great gift in the Holy Spirit that helps us understand the truth of God's word, and we're desperate for it. As real men, we're desperate to know the truth of what God's word has to say for us. God created you to live your life by his standards, and your sinfulness is constantly fighting with those standards and trying to put yours in its place. You do it all day, every day. The world's ideals for manhood will leave you chasing all the wrong things. All the things that this world says will satisfy you, but dudes, they will not satisfy you. Money, cars, promotions, houses, vacations, 
anything that you can put on Instagram. That stuff will leave you empty. Be a real man. Be the kind of man God intended you to be. Knitting your heart to his son and to the word. It's the kind of man that God wants us to be. It'll help us do those things that we sort of skimmed over things that you already know. It'll help us lead and provide and protect. It'll help us to be strong and courageous. The word will help us with that. It'll help you be strong in who your God is. It'll help you to be a man. And I know that we haven't said much about the ladies. I know what the goal is. Okay, I know that all of you are, are desiring one day to be married, to have a wife, and that's a good God-given desire. And I can't think of anything better than to just leave you with this quote from, from our pastor, Pastor John. You said this a few days ago and I wrote it down. Nothing is more secure to a woman than a strong man. You should write that down. Nothing is more secure to a woman than a strong man. And listen, he's not talking about the guy who can bench 315. He's talking about this kind of man. That's the exact kind of man that the kind of girl you want to marry is actually looking for. Desperately looking for a man to be strong like this, who has his heart knit to Jesus and to the word who's governed by it and, and lets his life be ruled by it because he's going to lead well and provide and protect. He's going to be strong and courageous. He's going to help her understand that and live in it as well. That's the kind of man you want to be. A, a real man wants to be like Christ. A real man wants to be filled with the word of God. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these young men. So encouraged by them, so grateful that they're here at camp this week to be challenged, to be confronted, or to grow. Pray that gospel progress would be made this week. Young men here who, who know that they're running from you and convicted by their rejection of you and your gospel of grace. God, I can't think of anything more important than to just pray for their salvation, to beg and ask you to save them this week, save them today. So, so important, so eternally important. But Father, for the young men in this room who are Christians, who, who have repented of their sin before you and have just willingly submit their life to you, God, I pray for them that you would help them to be the kind of men that you have planned and purposed for them. Help them to grow into the kind of man you want them to be, a man who, who just loves to fill his heart with, with knowledge of, of you from your word. God, thank you for these guys. I pray for them. I pray for their, their leaders who are with them and the conversations that they'll have today. God, I, I ask that above all, you would be honored. You would be glorified in what's done, what's said. Lord, help us to be 
men. Pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.